0: To the MWC Church podcast, MWC Church is a place where you can belong, believe, and become the person God's created you to be. Thanks for joining us online. Awesome! Hey, just want to be super clear uh, that that wasn't me who ate that steak next to Pastor Justin. Uh, so some people are probably asking, like, I wonder who that mysterious someone was. It wasn't me, I promise. I've been I've been diligent through this fast, and uh, man, hasn't God been God been so faithful through this just season of intentional prayer and fasting and and just seeking after Him? I mean, uh, hasn't has has God been blessing people? I mean, show of hands, anybody anybody receiving from the Lord? Yeah, okay, yeah, great, awesome, awesome. Uh, I'm excited for to, to celebrate that next week when we talk about all the things God was doing. Uh, but man, I want to I want to quickly just take a a moment in our service for. A time of silence. Um, I, I want to honor and commemorate the uh, the tragic loss of the Kansas City Chiefs last week. Oh boy. Is, was, any, was anybody just like dragging through the week? Like you're like, man, I'm so thankful I'm fasting. I, I have things to mourn for. Um, I, I, saw, I saw Ron Plinsky, he actually won tickets, right, Ron? You, you won tickets. Like the Lord blessed him uh, during the Daniel fast. He's been praying and fasting, and, and God just uh, surprised him with, with tickets. He didn't share with his pastor or anything, but he, he went to the game himself. <laughs> And uh, I, I saw him on the 50 yard line just eating. No, I'm just kidding, Ron. I'm just throwing him under the bus. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it, was, it was a tragic loss. And, and I'm a Bears fan. I'm from Chicago. Uh, but, but to see the Chiefs lose, like, that was my team. I was pulling, they are my AFC team. I, I was pulling for them and wanting them to win. And uh, to see that loss to, to Tom Brady, of all people, like, lose to anybody else but, but Tom Brady. And it was, and then they, oh, gosh. So uh, next week, everybody is a Rams fan. Right? Uh no no one's going for the Patriots. If you're going for the Patriots, you are the bad guy. Just just throwing that out there, right? Yeah, so 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 everybody's going for the Rams. Uh, we have a few Patriots fans in our church, but I don't care, okay? <laughs> Tom Brady, I'm just sick of every single time it's like they sleep all season and then oh, playoffs, you might as well start playing now and oh, Gronkowski, let's just stop using you to block and start oh, it's just so annoying. So anyway, I'm not I'm not bitter, I'm not upset. Uh, I still, when I close my eyes, see a, a double doink when, when uh, we missed that field goal on the Bears side. So I'm just this is bitter, just bitter. Thank the Lord that I'm fasting, though. <laughs> Thank the Lord, yeah. So super excited about, about the fast ending. Hey, by the way, I, I do want to give some con, uh, some concession, right? So um, last year, when we broke the Daniel fast, we said that if, if you decide to break it, you know, I, I think some of us are going to stay up till midnight and just, like, plow some, like, Swedish fish and, and Sour Patch Kids, like... As soon as that clock strikes midnight. But uh, but one thing that I want I want to encourage you is is that in a corporate fast, it's great to to break the fast corporately as well. So if you are connected to a community group, or if you have someone that you've been fasting alongside, um, dinner tonight would be a, an opportune time. Yes, I'm giving concession to break slightly earlier, but I believe that the Lord is 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 pleased when we break our fast with people. When we uh, if we were going through a corporate fast to get together and say, what did the Lord do in your life, and and how can we honor that? How can we how can we we celebrate that together. So, um, if you do decide to break your fast, my prayer is that you break it. If you break it early, break it with someone you you love and someone you care about. You're like Pastor Steve. I love myself some cookies, right? So you can break. I'm going to break me and my cookies, right? But do it do it with people, okay? Um, if you have your Bibles, open them to Isaiah 58. If you have your U Version Bible app, you can follow along with us in there. Isaiah 58. Um, we do have notes available on the U Version app. If you've never noticed that, you can look up a live event and find us there. Uh, but U Version is great. So Isaiah 58. I'll be reading out of the NIV version of the Bible. Let me ask you this: as you're turning or flipping or pointing or touching, whatever you're doing to get to Isaiah 58, uh, let me ask you this: Do you know anyone who is notorious? for botching song lyrics, right? Do you, yeah, I, I just saw a bunch of people look at the person next to them. So, so maybe that's you. Maybe you're the one who who's notorious for botching song lyrics, or or maybe you know someone who is. Growing up, my, my cousin Adriana, she was notorious for messing up lyrics to songs. And then, not just messing them up, but when you call her out, she's like, "That's not right, right?" Like like for example, one song that she would always get wrong was um, you know you know Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Uh, like hold me closer, Tiny Dancer, right? Like that. You know, I'm not going to be the worship pastor, but uh, that the Elton John "Hold Me Closer," uh, "Tiny Dancer," uh, she would she would say "Hold Me Closer," Tony Danza, the the actor, and uh, I, I remember stopping her one time I'm like. Why? Why would you assume Elton John is writing about Tony Danza? Like, like she's like because he's cute. I'm like, no, no, he's he's saying tiny dancer, right? Like, stop botching that lyric. And then, uh, and then there's another one that she was known for. It was, uh, you guys ever remember ever hear the song Waterfalls by TLC? Don't go chasing waterfalls, right? She thought she thought they were singing don't go chase or don't go Jason waterfalls. She thought there was a man named Jason Waterfalls and and TLC was singing about Jason Waterfalls. And and I'm like, listen, you're talking about Tony Danz and now you're talking about Jason Waterfalls. These aren't the right lyrics. Quit botching lyrics. And then the one that she was probably most famous for, at least in in my household, in my family, was uh, the, the YMCA. She would sing, it's fun to stay at the Y... No, 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 that's the lyric, right? She would sing, it's fun to play at the YMCA. Now, now you're not really going to laugh at that because here in Wichita, we are blessed with some incredible YMCA's. But the moment you leave Wichita and you go to any other YMCA, you don't want to play there. Right? I wish I could show you a picture of, of, of the YMCA's near my house, but I think there's a bunch of like, police line, caution, don't, don't cross this. I couldn't take a picture if I wanted to. Uh, you don't wanna play at those YMCA's. So, so she, she was just notorious for botching song lyrics, and, and me being the one that would always correct her and say, hey, at you're, you're kinda wrong. This is the actual, like, like, we'd have to go, like this is way back in the day when you actually had to buy a CD just to look up the lyrics, because we didn't have internet in our pockets. Um, so we'd buy a CD and I'd show her the discography. I'm like, look it, it's not Tony Danza, <laughs> it's a Dancer. Um, I, I, I got proud of, of my ability, like my, my supernatural ability to correctly articulate the, the lyrics that were being sung by the original artist. So so that was like, I put that on my resume, right? Like I'm just like super proud of the fact that I know lyrics, my cousin doesn't. And uh, when th- th- this kind of followed me into my marriage and uh, Katie and I, you know, we'd be listening to a song and, and she'd mess up a lyric and I'd be like, nope, that's not it, let, let me correct you a little bit. Uh, this is what they're saying. I, I turned myself into like a connoisseur of music. I was like an, uh, an etymologist. I knew, I knew the, 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 Never mind. Uh, eventually, there was a time a Christmas, not last Christmas, the Christmas prior. We're singing Winter Wonderland. Uh, and, and the lyric is, in the meadow we will build a snowman and pretend that he is. Now, I thought... You ready for this? I thought the lyric was parse and brown. And Kate's like, I don't think it's parse and brown. And I'm like, Katie, let me show you my resume one more time. I don't get song lyrics wrong, right? And she's like, yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think it's parse and brown. I'm like parse not even a word parse is a word she's like yeah what well, what's parse I'm like well the word parse is like if you have if you're looking at the bible and the the hebrew greek text to transliterate that from the hebrew to the english that's called Parse like you're parsing, you're conjugating that. It's it's parse. Katie, come on, it's a word. You should know this. Duh. And she's like, I don't. Why would he be talking? Context here. It's Christmas. Why is he talking about parsing? Right. Like, uh, and and she's like, let's look it up. So we didn't have to buy the CD because we have the internet on our phones. And she looked it up, and lo and behold, my wife was right. It's Parson Brown. You know what the word Parson means? It's another word for a pastor how a pastor, didn't know a synonym for pastor, is beyond me, but my wife was right. Have you ever been so adamant that you were right, so, so certain that you were right that you ended up being certainly wrong? Show of hands, have you ever been in a place where, where you were so certain you were right, but then you ended up being certainly wrong? Husbands everywhere just like, yep, just this morning. Why? I don't know, but I was wrong, <laughs> right? So certain that you're right, you end up being certainly wrong. Now, in Isaiah 58, we, we kind of see this happening with the nation of Judah. Isaiah was a prophet to the nation of Judah. At this time, in our, in our biblical context, the kingdom was split in two. There was Israel to the north and Judah to the south. So there was a, a bit of a civil war happening, and they were rivals at this time. Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and Judah was coming out from a season of praying and fasting. Um, Isaiah previously prophesied to the people of Judah and said this, listen, you guys are getting proud of yourselves. You, you're getting arrogant and boastful. You believe that you're, 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 you're setting right with God. And to their credit, it made sense. By this time, Israel, the northern kingdom, their, their rivals to the north, their brothers, but their rivals to the north, had already been invaded by Assyria. So they were under Uh, conquest of another kingdom, another nation, and Judah was sitting pretty. Right, it's kind of like the same rivalry that you would have if, if you know, the Denver Broncos and the Chiefs. Right, like if, if the Chiefs win, you're, you're super uh, excited, and the Broncos lost. This is what was happening. This was the the era, kind of the kind of the ethos of what was happening in between these two nations. So, so Judah was super proud of themselves. They told themselves, "Surely the Lord is pleased and impressed and proud of us because we haven't been invaded by a kingdom. In fact, we successfully fought off Egypt." So, so that tells you something. How how, how great we're living. How how much peace. Peace there is in our kingdom. And yet Isaiah is coming to them and saying, you guys are getting proud. You're being prideful. I, I, I told you that the Lord was calling us to fast and to pray and to, to make things right with him. And, and you're still proud of that. You're, you're certain that your fasting is producing a result. But, but I'm here to tell you, you are certainly wrong. Your fasting isn't for your benefit. And and the Lord, although you are fasting, he will not take notice. There are a few things you are messing up. So in Isaiah 58, we kind of get this as our context. And he starts off speaking to the children of Judah through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58. Let's read this together. Now we're gonna spend our time in this entire chapter. It's 14 verses long, but let's let's go ahead. Uh, We'll get through verse 12 at least today. Uh, But it says here, starting in verse one, he says... Shout it out loud and do not hold back raise your voice like a trumpet. Now, this is the Lord speaking to Isaiah, encouraging him, and and I love what he says there. He says, shout out loud. In in the Hebrew, this kind of means to allow, like, like get so loud that your voice goes hoarse. Like, you remember how you were yelling at the TV last Sunday? Um, This is exactly what he's saying, and your voice was hoarse on Monday. He's saying, I want you to to be so sure and clear. I want you to, to lose your voice. Get on that rooftop and allow your voice, your throat, to go hoarse. This message needs to get out. Do not hold anything back. He uses the illustration saying, raise your voice like a trumpet. Now, if you read this and you believe that, that the Lord is, is displaying some, some anger, I, I, would, I would caution that, that, that thought. He's not so much saying the Lord is angry with you as much as it's the, the Lord is trying to convey a, a clear message. I think sometimes we read through the Old Testament, and we expect God to be mad at everything, but, but sometimes God, who is a loving father, he, 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 he yells and he, and he screams, not out of anger, but out of a, a means to resolve and to restore. His desire is for his children, and he wants to restore that relationship. So whenever you hear this, this raise your voice like a trumpet in, in the Bible, and you see it a few times, you see it in Zechariah, you see it in, in Hosea, what he's trying to convey is what they would have understood in their context a trumpet was used as a a tool on the on the military field on the battlefield whenever a trumpeter would would sound the trumpet it was in order to awaken the soldiers to, to get them into formation the Lord is simply trying to get his nation to open up their eyes to be awakened to their condition and say oh my goodness we, we haven't been ready for battle here we are on the battlefield we're soldiers we're not functioning the way we should but now we will this was the intent of our God and I'm here to tell you that I am thankful thankful for a God who loves us enough that is willing to to raise the alarm, to open up our eyes, to awaken us from our stupor and say, let's get to work? So although the context is specifically to Isaiah, I believe this morning the Lord is also speaking to us. God's desire is that our, our hearts would be awakened, that our eyes would be open, that we would be in formation, ready to take on everything that comes our way in his power and in his strength. Are you thankful for a God who opens up our eyes? There is something that is sweeping the church and it's become pervasive. We don't talk about real issues. We don't talk about sin. We don't talk about holiness. We don't talk about the things that God is, is passionate about, the things of Christ. We, we use the Bible and we, we make it a self-help manual, but that's, that's not what this is. Does it help us? Yes, but this is our instruction manual. This is our, our survival guide. We need the word of God, and I'm here to tell you that the Lord's desire for all of us is that we would be sure of something we would be sure of what he's trying to tell us. We'd be open to what he's trying to say. And Isaiah is doing just that to the kingdom of Judah. So he continues on. He says this. Notice how he says in the second half of verse one, he says, declare to my people their rebellion. What does rebellion mean? It literally means treason. He says, I, I, I'm the king of this kingdom. You have set me up to be your God. I'm the king of this kingdom. And their rebellion is treasonous, or treacherous, right? They, they, they've literally rebelled against my ways. And to the descendants of Jacob, declare to them their sins. What does sin? Sin means, it, it's, it's, it's an illustration in Hebrew. It means simply to miss the mark, similarly to, a, or similar to a, a, a archer. If he were to shoot his arrow, even if he's slightly off of the bullseye, no matter how much he's missed the mark. And he's saying here, Judah has missed the mark. You know what's funny about the way us as humans survey whether we are missing the mark or not? We say if we're, we missed it, but, but we were so close. You ever notice how we give concession to ourselves? Like, like I, I may have missed the mark, but, but I was just so close. But, but here in archery, it's either a bullseye or not. Here in, in the realm of morality and ethics, especially those of the Lord, either you hit it or you don't. And he's saying, listen, I know they're fasting, I know they're praying, but, but they missed the mark, therefore it is sin. It is sin. Like they're, they're, it's, it's not cute sin. It's not black sin or white sin. It, it's sin is sin. And, and you miss the mark. So, so declare to the people Jacob. And notice how he uses descendants of Jacob. We read that. We read right, right past that. But if you were a or first century Jew, or, or, a, or I'm sorry, a, a Jew in the ancient Near East living under this kingdom, you would have understood exactly what Isaiah was doing by calling them descendants of Jacob. Who was Jacob? Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Jacob's name literally means the one who grabs at the heel. If you remember the origin story of Jacob, when he and his brother, he was a twin, when his brother Esau came out, it says that, that he grabbed onto his brother's heel and came out after him. Literally, to, to be one who grabs at the heel can, be, can mean uh, one who deceives or one who is trying to trip up. So the Lord is saying, listen. Just like Jacob was deceived. Remember, Jacob deceived his brother, deceived his father to receive the inheritance. Uh, his, his brother was coming in super hungry from hunting, and he's like, listen, I'll, 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 I'll give you something to eat, but first you gotta trade me your birthright. The, the promises that, the father, that our father will give to you, you need to trade me your birthright. He's like, fine, I'll do it. And he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. Another time, Jacob put on a cloth. His brother was very hairy, and for some reason, um, Jacob had not hit testosterone. He never hit puberty, so he had no hair on his arms. His brother had all the testosterone. And uh, that was a joke, by the way. I I probably should have smiled it was a joke, but... He went to his father, his father was on his deathbed and he said, father, bless me. And he's like, is this my son Esau? I can't see, Uh, but if I I could feel your arm and and feel that there is hair there, I will know that you're my son. Jacob puts on a cloth or a a fur and he went to his father and, and stole the birthright from his brother. Jacob was a deceiver. Eventually, thank the Lord, Jacob is, is redeemed. Jacob has a, a, a con- great conversion with the Lord. He wrestles with him. It's, it's a great story. We'll preach out of Genesis at some point, uh, but that's not today because we've got to keep going. Um, but Jacob was a deceiver. So by the Lord calling them to descendants of Jacob, he's saying, you guys, you're fasting, you're praying. You think you're doing everything right, but in the midst of it, you have been deceived. You have deceived yourselves. And the Lord continues This story, he continues this indictment on what was happening. Israel missed the mark and committed treason. Isaiah 58, verse two. The Lord begins to explain how it is or, or, or what's happening. The context is this. For day after day, they seek me out. So far, so good. Day after day, they seek me out. Semicolon, and it says this. They seem eager to know my ways. Either you're eager or you're not eager, right? Either you're eager to know the Lord or you're not eager to, to know the Lord. And then there's something in the middle called seeming. You, you, you seem eager. You, you put on this front of, of being concerned with, with seeking the Lord. You, you know all the right words. You know how to dress the part, how to play the parts. You, you know what time to get to church and you know what song to, to lift up your hands so you know how to. T- you know all these different ways to, to seemingly Please the Lord. You know those ways, but but, but you, you miss the mark. As if they were, look what he says. As, this is what the Lord is saying. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and what's that word again? Seem. seem. They seem eager for God to come near to them. They seem eager. Oh, that God in the middle of our fasting would not say, you know what, MWC seems to want to draw near to me. They, they, they enter into a season of fasting and they, 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 they seem eager to, to know my ways. They pray on Wednesday and seem desirous to know my will, but man, God would not say that to us. And thank the Lord that he loves us enough that he's willing to get real with our reality and say these truths. Israel had committed this sin of seeming eager. They missed the mark. Their rebellion and sin wasn't blatant, it was hidden. They perfected the secret sin of just blending in, of, of going with the flow. Listen, our God does not want us to be that way. In Revelation, he's writing to a church and he says, listen, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm and I'm just gonna spew you out of my mouth. I, I don't want this lukewarmness. Return to the fire that you once were, like, like return to this. And, and this is what the Lord is doing to Israel. It's, it's what he's been doing to his people constantly. He's waking us up, shaking us up, saying, let's get things right. Let's not be lukewarm. There was no passion in the relationship with God anymore. They, they did just enough to get by. It was the bare minimum. They committed the sin of seeming. This is religion at its core. No relationship, just a bunch of, a bunch of function. I, I wake up in the morning, I get the kids ready, I go to church, repeat, rinse, do it again next week. This, this idea, of that, that's religion. Just coming to church and, and punch, punching in and clocking out, like, like this is not what the Lord would have. Neither in our fasting. Like you tell me what relationship you can get by with that and still be considered a healthy relationship. None. You can't do it in marriage and you certainly can't do it with the Lord. There are few things worse than being a seemingly eager Christian. One who knows all the right words, one who, who be, knows all the right behaviors, and, but on the inside there is no passion. And you know what? The Lord cannot accept that. He will not accept half-hearted worship. He will not accept anything In fact, anything done half-heartedly for the Lord will never be accepted. An example of this that we see in scripture is in Genesis. Uh, Cain and Abel, you guys remember Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel were the sons of, of Adam. And uh, one specific account that we see, the Lord not accepting half-hearted worship is in, in Genesis chapter four. And this isn't because the Lord is, is a jerk, or be, it's because he, he, he is God and he deserves nothing more or nothing less than, than full-on, full-hearted worship. And, and listen, God is not looking for, for you to tithe 20%. That's not, that he's looking for a heart. He's looking for, for a heart that is committed to him. And we see in Cain and Abel, one brother, although they are twins also, one brother is is specifically seeking the Lord. One is specifically wholeheartedly going after the Lord and the other is not. Look at this example. Genesis four, verse two through five. Now, Abel kept flocks. Abel was a shepherd, right? And Cain worked the soil. We got a shepherd, we got a farmer. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's not, okay? Both of them are, are operating in the function and the role that God had called them to. They, they are both noble positions. But look what it says. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Like Cain was the first one to offer something to the Lord. He's looking around at his brothers like, I'm gonna bring something to the Lord, right? He, he's, he's probably just to, to, to one up, I'm the older brother, I might as well do this. And he brings, the Bible says, some. Of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, I want us to, to compare that to what happens next. Continuing on in this verse, it says this And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. What is the difference? Abel brought something from his firstborn, the fat portions. Now, to us, we're like, oh, the fat, nobody likes the fat. Uh, you, Do you want to get fat? Like That's what we say. But, but the fat portions back then, I mean, this is the sustenance. This is what's gonna keep you going. This is the energy. Uh, he brought not just the fat, but the fat of the firstborn. Like the, the first, like whatever is up the top, like he's not saying, God, I'll give you the, the little weak lamb at the very end who, who hasn't been eating much, like that that one's yours, God. He says, no, God, the best of the best, I give it to you. He is literally, I mean, this could be a, a message on, on, on tithing and offering, how, how we don't give the Lord, like whatever is left at the end of the week, we say, Lord, you ask for this 10%, I give it to you right off the top, it is yours. Actually, it's all yours, but you have asked me to just be faithful with this. And, and with this 10% that I give to you, you can do so much more. It's not just about tithing, it's about our worship, Lord. I'm not just dragging into church. God, I'm gonna wake up in the morning and and I'm gonna worship you before the first thing I do. Before I even jump onto Facebook, I'm gonna throw my face in your book, God, and I'm gonna get real with you and I'm gonna worship you. God's desire is that we would be people that not worship him half-heartedly but give him everything that we have to offer to give him the first fruits. The Lord looked with favor on Abel, the Bible says, and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Why? Because God cannot accept anything that is done half heartedly. He wants our whole hearts or nothing. Now, I'm not saying that we should compare ourselves to others and say, well, at least I'm doing better than them. No, no, no. The Lord looks and deals with you, not you and comparison to your neighbor, just you. And you know what's interesting is this sin of half heartedness, there are only two people that can call you out on that it's you. In the Lord. You can come to church and pay your tithe and worship and, and serve and give and, and do all these different thing and things, but it's really only you and the Lord who knows if your heart is fully in or halfway in. Oh, that we would be a church. Oh, that we would be people that refuse to give anything than ourselves completely over to Jesus. Amen. Right? that we would be a church that says, Lord, we serve, we, we love, we give, we, we do all, we worship. Everything that we do, God, is done wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, because you held nothing back for us. And then the Lord is speaking here. Let's continue in our passage in Isaiah 58, verse three. Now the people speak up after this, this calling out from the Lord, this, this literally putting a spotlight on them. They say, Well, Lord, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Lord, we've humbled ourselves, and why haven't you taken notice? What's happening here? They're they're saying, God, why haven't you noticed me? Uh, Not like the way your wife, when she buys a new dress and says, why haven't you noticed this dress? Or when she gets a haircut, she's like, why haven't you noticed this haircut? What's happening here? To illustrate it exactly, it's like, you ever hear the phrase to put lipstick on a pig? Right? You know, you're like, it's, it doesn't matter how much you dress up the pig, it's, it's still a pig. Uh, this is what was happening. Their the worship was, was not authentic. It wasn't like the Lord was they're like, why aren't you noticing us, God? We're worshiping, we're, we're fasting. God's like, you, you started off on the foundation of, of half heartedness. It, it's, still, it's still a pig, it, it's still not something that I can, I can accept. The hope was that God would notice their self inflicted struggle, and because of their physical humility, God would then rush to their aid to run to their side, but there was no genuineness there. Listen, a good, moral, cultural Christian knows how to talk, act, and behave in religious circles, but knowing the cultural expectations of a Christian is not the same as knowing God. Let me say that again knowing the cultural expectations of a Christian, knowing how a Christian talks, the music they listen to, the way they dress is not the same as knowing God. And God is so concerned that we start with the reality of knowing him and then everything else flows underneath that, but not the other way around. It's not, Lord, if I can behave a certain way, then I belong to you. It's no, no, no. You belong to me. And from this position of knowing him, we behave the right way. And in culture, in society, Sometime in Christian churches, we reverse that and we say, let's just behave the right way. But Lord, the Lord is more concerned with, do we belong to him first? And then behavior follows suit. Because if you really belong to the Lord, you will serve him. If you really belong to Jesus, you you will honor him. You will fast and fast in such a, a way that pleases him. But they were missing the mark. What was happening here? At the core of God's accusation, look what happens here. The Lord responds to their question, and the Lord says, "This. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You and uses and you exploit your workers. Now look what the Lord is saying. Yet on the day of your fasting, we would add in brackets there. You you decide not to eat, or you eat certain foods." but yet you still do as you please. He's saying, what's the point of changing your diet, changing what you're consuming, if, if on the outside of that, you're just gonna behave the same way? Let your behavior match what's happening internally and allow that to be the difference maker. They were wanting God to, to do all these different things, but the Lord is saying, listen, you're fasting and you continue to do as you please. Our days of fasting shouldn't be about doing as we please, but about doing what God pleases. And what does he want? He wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants our selfish desires and wills given freely over to him. And then, he's, and then the Lord says something very interesting here that I, I had to just like rack my, my brain and, and study. He says this, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit your workers. I was like, well, God, why, why would you add this little, this little note, like it's, is it not for us, Like, and exploit your workers? What, what does that mean? Well, he, the Lord is saying this, when you are fasting, you are literally humbling yourself, right? Right, you, you, you humble yourself before the Lord. You're, 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 dis, you're denying yourself and you're focusing on him. And he's saying this, what is the point of humbling yourself before God Almighty if yet in your dealings with those around you, you don't humble yourself? In fact, you make yourself even more proud. You diminish them, you, you get angry, you backlash, you, you fight, you, you, you quarrel with them. The Lord is saying that kind of behavior completely destroys what is happening here. You may submit yourself to God, but, but by being proud over people, you're, you're saying that there is nothing truly changing in your life. At the core of God's accusation lays the fundamental principle that diminishing others in any way during a season of fasting is canceling out any act of humility oppressing and exploiting those who serve us cancels out our humility towards the God we serve. Do you remember the example in, uh, in Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Matthew 18, there was an example of the, the unmerciful servant, Matthew 18, the context is, is uh, forgiving others. Well, there is a, a story that Jesus said about this, like treating others when, when if, if God treats us with, with love and to not love others, just how, how that's backwards. There's an example he gave, and it was in Matthew 18. He said this, uh, suppose a man w- who owed 21 years of debt. Um, he's walking around, and eventually the master who he owed this debt to called him out and said, okay, it's, it's time to pay up. The man falls to his knees and is like, Lord, I, I can't pay this up. It doesn't matter if I sell myself, my wife, my kids. Like, I will never be able to pay this back, master. The master looks at him with mercy in his eyes and says, you know what, son? Your debts are forgiven. And imagine having 21 years of debt wiped free. Like, how amazing that would be, right? Like, oh, man, that'd be great. I'm just like salivating at the thought of no student loans. The man goes, and he's, he's, he's thankful, he's joyous, he's, he's celebrating, he's worshiping, he's, he's doing all the great things, he's acting in the, in the right way. And then he sees out of the corner of his eye some guy who owed him five bucks. And that guy's like, wait a second, that's, that's, that's Jimmy Two-Face. And he runs up to Jimmy Two-Face. He's like, Jimmy Two-Face, it's time to pay up. And he slaps him and beats him up, takes him, drags him to prison, says, this guy owes me $5. The master hears of this, and he's like, bring them bring before me. He brings this, this, this master in and he's like, or this, this servant in and he's like, you know what? I wiped 21 years of your debt and yet you treated your servant who owed you $5 horribly. And eventually it says that he threw him in where there was weeping and gnashing and there was no forgiveness. It's judgment that he's essentially saying. God is saying that when we are fasting and worshiping, if we are humbling ourselves before the Lord and yet our, our outward relationships with others aren't impacted or changed for the better, then what we are doing before the Lord is, is disqualified. I don't care if, if you were with us on this fast for 21 days, if this is the very end of it, God's desire is that, is that our outward worship and relationship with others would also be impacted. Amen. How do we know this? Look what the Lord says in verse four. He says, your fasting ends in quarreling and in strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. And God says, what I, would, I mean, if, if you have your Bible, I would highlight this. You cannot fast as you do today. The way that you are fasting right now, you cannot expect, as, or you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. God will not listen to that. He, he will not even consider that, the plight of that individual. Why? Because it's not impacting anything other than their diet. They're not even fasting, they're just dieting. It's just a change of a diet. God's desire, God's heart is for us to be acknowledging acknowledging the fact of this, how we fast in January or how you treat people in February after this fast, how we treat people after this fast will be the test of authenticity of our fasting in January. Plainly said, how you treat people on Monday will be the litmus test of your faith on Sunday. How we interact with the world around us is how the Lord says their worship is authentic or not. Please, friend, don't allow the season of fasting to end tonight or tomorrow with still holding resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness in your heart, God's desire was for us, yes, to empty ourselves of, of our own selfish desires and, and for us to come to the grips of that we are people that are fed by the Lord and that, that he, he is our sustenance, yes, to come to that, to hear from Him. But His ultimate desire is that there was, this would leave a lasting impact on us, that we would, yes, empty ourselves of ourselves, but but to also fill ourselves with His presence that leads us into right relationships, not with just the Lord, but with others as well. Don't allow the end of this fast to, to come to your doorstep before you call somebody up and say, I forgive you. Don't, don't wait for, for Monday or Tuesday, but, but do this now because that kind of living will, will legitimize the fast that you have just been on. Look at how, look what the Lord says. I'm thankful that we serve a God who just doesn't call us out when we're wrong, but he gives us a step to make things right. Listen, you know, if, if someone ever comes to you and say, thus saith the Lord, and they bring you a message and they just bring negative and they don't bring something positive, that's not of the Lord. Why? Because every single time the Lord brings something up, some negative, something that you're doing wrong, it's always gonna be followed with the steps to make it right. That is our God. He's not just someone who points out problems. He's a person. He's a God who solves and brings solution. And he's doing that here. He says, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? It is only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A a day or 21 days acceptable to the Lord? Is that that why we're doing? Like, is this why we fast? For us to just eat vegetables and fruit, get our our yearly supply in January to sustain us for the rest of the year? Or or what's the purpose of a fast he's saying here? Is, Is that why I'm doing it? The Lord is is simply saying this that going through the motions of a fast will never satisfy Him. Just changing our diets will not satisfy Him. An empty stomach by itself does nothing. It's only when our empty stomachs lead to full hearts that the Lord is truly glorified. I love this example out of Psalm 51. David had committed horrible sins, murdered a man, committed adultery. And he comes to the Lord, and he comes to the grips of his, of his situation, and he's like, I bet he was at the altar trying to make things right. He was probably going to sacrifice every animal in the entire land, and, and eventually it dawns on him, and he, and he says this beautiful psalm, Psalm 51, starting in verse 16. He says this, God, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, or I would bring those too. Which you desire, Lord, my, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and, and contrite heart you will not despise. God, I, you don't want me to just follow religion and, and, and do things. You want my heart, God. And you want, yes, the, the acts of sacrifice and worship to follow, but only if they come from a heart that is broken. I love the message, the way it, it translates this. Eugene Peterson does it great. He says this, going through the motions this exact same passage, going through the motions doesn't please you, God. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. He doesn't want just different patterns of living. He wants our heart that resolves to different patterns of living. And then the Lord brings up the right way to fast. And this is where we're going to end here. He says, is this not the kind of fasting that I I do want? Verse 6 and 7, Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? And he begins to list what brings him pleasure, what the result of of a fast that honors God truly looks like. He says this, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice to untie the cords of the yoke. What was a yoke? It was, it was something that you would put on a workhorse. And oftentimes that workhorse, a bad master, would drive that workhorse to the ground. And the, and the Lord is saying to, to loosen the yoke, to, to literally allow that person to be free, to, to allow them to come up from under the bondage that is withholding them, meaning your fast should cause you to, to help the plight of others to set the oppressed free, to to break every yoke. Listen, God's greatest desire at the end of a fast is not that you would look better than you did when you started, that your body would have been detoxed, that you maybe spent some more time reading and praying. Yes, that is good. All those things are benefits and and blessings of a fast. But his ultimate desire that when he looks at us and says, what is the litmus test? How do we we grade from heaven the success of this season of fasting? He's saying, is MWC gonna be more concerned with others than they were before? Are they going to be more concerned with with the acts of injustice happening all around them? Are are they going to be open? Are their eyes going to be open to see what is happening? Or are they just going to go back to living and and devouring Swedish fish and Sour Patch kids? Like, are they going to change? Is there something different about them? Are they going to be concerned with the community? Are they going to be going to work and saying, you know what, that person does not know Jesus, the greatest injustice. They need Jesus. Are they going to be more passionate about their neighbor? This is the litmus test of the authenticity of our fast. How concerned with, are you with the injustices around us? And, and for some reason during this fast, God has just opened up my eyes to see things and I'm just like, why did I not notice this before? And the Lord's like, you weren't looking. But when we empty ourselves during fasting, our eyes become so open. I mean, just last week, just last week, a law was passed in New York that now allows, yes, we're going there. It's not political, It's biblical allows abortion up until the third trimester and up until birth. And yes, some, some lawmakers are saying, no, it's only if, if the mother's life was at, you know, in, in peril. That's always been a law. Do you know, even before Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, that was still the law. You can still get an abortion if, if the mother's life was was in peril or, or, or she, she may have died giving birth. That was, that's always been a law. No one has ever, like even before Roe versus Wade, and you know, in the, since 2011 and 2013, less than 1% of the, of the abortions committed were even because a mother's life was threatened. The majority of them, look up these statistics. The CDC will tell you. Planned Parenthood it has it on their website. This is injustice. And, and I'm not like saying this is a right-wing issue, a left-wing, this is why. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing a candidate. Get out of here with this. I'm saying... As, as Christians, as people who say we've been called by God, we have a responsibility to fight for the voiceless and and you know what the Lord has been speaking to me also even I would say this is a continuation from last year it's not enough for us to just hold signs that say pro-life, yeah we should do that we should we should speak on ethics and, and open up in the public square and, and say this is what we believe we should seek to change a culture and, and I believe that 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 you know uh, successful activism does that, but, but I believe that God has called the church to put its, its money where its mouth is, to put our actions and our hearts where our, our mouth is. And it's not enough anymore to just say I'm pro-life. We need to actually live pro-life and support single parents and support moms and, so, and actually adopt and foster. That is why I'm saying that in 2019, our church, we are going to change this community. Did you know here in Sedgwick County, I truly believe God is calling our church to do something radical, in Sedgwick County alone, every single day, there are approximately 100 kids who have nowhere to sleep at night. Because the police will come in and say, this is not a safe environment for the kids. The kids will go into the foster care system. And there are not enough foster parents to even open up their homes for a night. And because of that, we, there is an undertow of just garbage happening in Sedgwick County alone. Last year, a 13-year-old girl was raped by a worker because she was living for a couple of weeks in the offices. They since closed down that office, and you can—I mean, you can look this up. Some of us we don't even know this, but when we're fasting, the Lord is bringing up oppression and injustice, and He's saying the result of your fast should be that your eyes are open, and your hearts are open, and your hands are open to receive and embrace. We are going to do things in 2019. I believe God can cause us to completely eradicate the need for foster care in Wichita. I truly believe that. I believe God is calling some people. Look what he says, continuing in this passage. I believe he's speaking to us this morning. He says this, verse 7. Continuing in Isaiah 58, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them and to turn away from your, and to, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Jesus is, or the Lord is bringing up ways for us to successfully fast. Like the result of what happens after this season of fasting is gonna prove whether or not this was successful. Will our eyes be open to the needs around us? One of the reasons why we're doing this building campaign out here is because I want our church to be a place where parents and couples and even singles can, can be trained to be foster parents. Even if it's just like a, a one night thing that where you have an extra room or I, I believe God is calling us. So I've already talked to St. Francis last year when my wife and I, we actually went through tips maps last year. We, we've actually adopted a girl. We're in the process of adopting a baby girl and it's been awesome. Many of you know the story. Um, but, but, but my desire is that are all everybody in this church would, would do something. I'm not saying the child should be in your house, but maybe, maybe there's something you can do. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're beyond the years of, of age where you can take a child, but you certainly are handy enough to help someone's house get up to code or maybe your your work lifestyle doesn't work, but you can definitely support a family that doesn't have the income and and, and give them a certain amount of money, give them a stipend to help them with some of the expenses. Everybody can do something. You can provide, oh man, I have so many ideas, but we're we're doing these expansions so that we can be trained here. I've already talked to St. Francis. They'll come in and teach us how to do this. We could be the the answer to that problem our city has. You and I. And don't even tell me. You're crazy. Like I had two kids under two and we took one in. No one's crazier than me right now. Actually, maybe the Ripsteins, but that's it. (laughs) We could do this. What does it take? Eyes opened and a heart that is willing to do brave things. Will you stand with me as we end this season of fasting and praying? And you may be saying, Pastor... I never fasted during this entire time. This isn't for me. Listen, if you have hitched your wagon to this church, God doesn't just deal with some of us, He deals with all of us. Pastor, this is my first time in the church. Welcome to the team. Welcome to the family. We are going places and doing things so that Jesus can be glorified. He's given us a responsibility, He's giving us a job in 2019 it is to be outward focused, not inward focused. It's not to have a better body and to have a detoxed body because we fasted. It's, it's, yes, that's a great result. Thank you, Lord, I've detoxed. But, but it's simply to detox myself of me and be more focused with the only thing that gives life, the author of life, and that is Jesus. We need him this year. We need you, Jesus. Can we just close our eyes and, and can I just pray over us? Father, thank you so much for all that you've done in us and through us. Thank you that these 21 days were marked of times of, of diving deeper into your word or, or, or time of spending more and more time in your presence and prayer. And Father, if there's anybody in this place that, that maybe feels accused, maybe they don't feel like they've done enough, Father, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Lord, you don't want, you're not concerned with time, you're concerned with whether or not it is quality. And we've already seen Isaiah 58 specifically say what proves the quality of our fast is what results from that. So our church has fasted. Our church has been in prayer. And we are asking for marching orders. Lord, we hear the trumpet sound. It is clear and it is telling us to act. And Father, although every detail isn't figured out, I pray that in the duration of 2019, step by step, you would reveal orders of of where to go, of who to talk to, Lord, that our church would be the answer to a problem that we have in this community. We don't want to just come to church and lift up our hands and, and just follow just the, the, the model of, of, of how a someone goes to church, but we want to be people that are legitimate. And we're not casting blame or pointing the finger and saying they're not or they are. Or, that's You're concerned with us. You're concerned with me. So. Father, may no one look around and say, that church's not doing it, or this. You're concerned with me. Legitimize my worship, Lord. Speak to my heart, God. Help me, help us, help MWC. We don't want to waste the 21 days that we've just spent seeking after you. We want you, Jesus. And if that's your heart, if that's your prayer, will you say amen? Amen.